Book One, Chapter One, Section Three of Tasker Jevons: The Real Story by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Book One, Chapter One, Section Three. I may say at once I was prostrated as any slave before his conversation. I shall never forget the radiance of his twinkle when he told me he had been sacked three weeks ago from the sporting paper that had provided him with his sole visible means of subsistence. It was his blessed, only he didn't call it blessed, style that had dished him, the suicidal elan that he brought to the business. He was warned, he said. He was aware that his existence as a reporter hung by the bare thread of statement wearing thinner and thinner on which he weaved his fantastic web his editor told him he was engaged to report football not to play it with the paper but he couldn't help it he had got he said the ensanguined habit still i was not to imagine that he bungled things he jolly well knew his way about in his wildest flights there was a homing impulse he was preparing a place for himself all the time that it happened to be my place didn't seem to afflict him in the least like st paul he knew how to abound and he knew how to abstain his abstinence in fact gave the measure of his abundance he held himself in for five perilous weeks and when he let himself rip again it was with a burst that landed him in the front page of the morning standard what he sketched for me had no resemblance to the career of a peaceful man of letters it was a hot race a combat as bloody his own word as those contests of which he was the delighted eye-witness he had come thin and worn out of the struggle but you gathered that he had borne himself in it with coolness and deliberate caution his phrases produced a false effect of vehemence and excitement you saw that he had simply followed out a calculated scheme not one step of which had miscarried and you felt that his most passionate affairs would be conducted with the same formidable precision i ought to have felt it for we were precious soon in the thick of it of his most passionate affair i had dined him i suppose about three times and i had lunched him twice and i had had tea with him once in his bedroom he was living in one room in a street off the euston road and he called it his bedroom because it looked so much more that than anything else i might have let it go at that but i didn't i had seen his bedroom i took the liberty of inquiring into his finances they were he said as yet undeveloped he had a scheme of his own for improving them but while it was maturing he was he certainly was open to offers of work i got him some translation he was a fairly good french scholar then it was the fatality of the proceedings that impressed them on my memory then i forgot to say that at that time i was reader to a firm of publishers these things are in themselves so inessential to the story i turned over to him any books that came more into his province than mine his province i can tell you was pretty extensive too he began by doing me the honour to consult me about any instances that seemed doubtful and so you see how carefully i had prepared his path for him one afternoon he turned up at my rooms uninvited between four and five he said he remembered i had told him i should be free at that hour he remembered yes i don't think tasker jevons ever forgot anything anything likely to be useful to him in his life and he hadn't been with me ten minutes before viola thesiger came in 
he was saying why the heaven afflicted idiot his author should think it necessary when viola came in she came in and suddenly i made up my mind that she was beautiful i hadn't seen it before i don't know why i saw it now it may have been some turn of her small squarish head that surprised me with subtle tendernesses and curves or more likely it may have been her effect on him i may have seen her with his eyes i don't know i don't know i hardly like to think he saw anything in her i hadn't seen first he stopped talking they looked at each other i introduced him not to have introduced him would have struck him as a slight i ordered tea at once in the hope of hastening his departure he had been curiously silent since she had come in but he didn't go he just sat there saying nothing but looking at her furtively now and then and blinking as if looking at her hurt him whenever she said anything he stared with his mouth a little open breathing heavily she hadn't paid very much attention to him then suddenly as if intrigued by his silence she said who is the heaven-afflicted idiot i said ask mr jevons she did jevons didn't answer her he simply looked at her and blinked then he looked away again come i said you might finish what you were going to say i don't know he muttered that i was going to say anything oh yes that thing you sent me why the silly blighter should suppose it's necessary to stick in a storm at sea when it's quite obvious he hasn't seen one he talks about a brig when he means a bark and from the way he navigates her you'd say the wind blew all ways at once in the atlantic i said it might for all i knew and i asked him if he'd ever seen a storm at sea himself it seemed he had he'd been ordered a sea voyage for his health after his spell of printing and his uncle who was a sea captain took him with him to hong kong in his ship and he had been all through a cyclone in the pacific i got him with some difficulty for he had become extremely shy i got him to tell us about it he did and by the time he had finished with us we had all been through a cyclone in the pacific it was too much the little beast could talk almost as well as he wrote a fellow who can write like tasker jevons has no business to talk at all viola left soon after six he had outstayed her i went downstairs with her when i came back to him he was still staring at the doorway she had passed through who's that girl he said i said she was my typist he meditated and brought out as the result do you mind telling me how much she charges you i told him he looked dejected i can't afford her he said presently no i can't possibly afford her not yet he paused do do you mind giving me her address i thought you said you couldn't afford her i can't not yet but i will afford her i will i give myself another he stopped his mouth fell ajar and i saw his lips moving as he went through some inaudible calculation another six months he hid his face in his hands and ran his fingers through his hair then as if he conceived himself to be unobserved behind this shelter he let himself go and i became the witness of an agony a passion a self-abandoned nakedness to the utter shedding of all reticences and decencies with nothing but those thin hands and that hair between me and it i work he said i work like a hundred bloody niggers like ten hundred thousand million sweated tailors in a stinking cellar i'll pinch i'll skimp and save i'll deny myself butter i'll wear celluloid collars and sell my dress suit my god i'd sell the coat off my back and the shoes off my feet 
I'd sell my own mother's body off her deathbed and go without any dinner for nine months to see her again for five minutes. Just to see her for five minutes. Five, unprintable, little minutes that another man wouldn't know what to do with, wouldn't use for tying up a bootlace in. Pause. I didn't know it hurt. I didn't know a girl's face could land you one like this, and her eyes jab you, and her voice turn round and round in your stomach like a circular saw. That's what it feels like, exactly. Dry up, you old geyser, yourself. I'm getting it, not you. You'd spout if you'd had to sit tight with all the gas in the shop blazing away under you for the last hour. If you can turn it off at the meter, turn it. I can't. No, I won't have another cup of tea, and I won't get up and clear out. I'm going to sit here another five minutes. I'm not well, I tell you, and it relieves me to talk about it. I don't care if you don't listen, or if you do, I'm past caring. Do you notice that I didn't speak a word to her? Not one blessed word the whole time. I should have choked if I'd tried to. I didn't want to look at her to think of her. That's why I told that rotten story, just to keep myself going. What a blethering idiot she must have thought me. What a putrid ass. The sea. And me? And the way she looked at me. I said, do you mean to say, Jevons, it didn't happen? And he groaned. Oh, it happened all right. I can't invent things to save my life. God, it isn't even as if she was pretty. I could understand that. He grabbed his throat suddenly and began to cough. I tried to be kind to him. Look here, I said, old chap. I'm awfully sorry if it takes you this way, but it's no good. He turned on me, coughing and choking. I cannot remember all he said or half the things he called me, but it was something like this. You sniveling defective. <coughs> you septic idiot. <coughs> you poisonous and polluted ass. <coughs> you scarlet imbecile. I have to water down the increasing richness of his epithets. You last diminutive purple embryo of an epileptic stock. Do you suppose I don't know that? No good. Of course it's no good yet. I got to wait for another six months, and you can take it from me. If a fellow knows what he wants and doesn't try to get it, doesn't know how to get it in six months and doesn't find out, he's no good if you like. These words didn't strike me at the time as having any personal application. He was to repeat them later on, however, in circumstances which I defy anybody to have foreseen. I cannot recall the precise phases of their remarkable friendship. I wasn't present at its earliest stages. I had my first intimation of its existence one evening in the winter of 1905, when he dropped in on me to consult me, he said, about a rather delicate matter, in which I gathered there lurked for his inexperience the most frightful pitfalls of offence. That he should come to me in this spirit was evidence that a certain chastening had been going on in him. The delicate matter was this. He had given Miss Thesiger a lot of work, the typing of a whole book, in fact, and, he had immense difficulty in getting to this part of it, she had refused to take any payment. She had got it into her head that he was hard up. He had sent her a check three times, and three times she had returned it. She was as obstinate as a mule about it and now she was saying that she had never meant him to pay her she had done the whole thing out of friendship which of course was very pretty of her but it put him in a beastly position he'd never been precisely in that position before and he didn't know what to do about it he didn't want to offend her and yet he didn't see did i how he could let her do it it was he said all the wrong way about according to his notions 
and for the life of him he didn't know what to do it might seem to me incredible that such virgin innocence as his should exist in a world where the rules for most sorts of conduct were fairly settled he had lived all his life in an atmosphere of births marriages and deaths and he knew all the rules for the registration of them and that was about all he did know and it was the most infernally hard luck to be stumped like this at the very beginning just when he wanted most awfully to do the right thing besides it had knocked him all to bits the sheer prettiness of it he laid bare for me all the curious intricacies of a soul tortured by its own delicacy there was agony in his eyes if he were to take this kindness from a lady would it in my opinion or would it not be cricket i didn't like to tell him that he had brought his agony on himself by his imprudence in employing a typist when he couldn't afford one so i only said that if i knew the lady he would find her uncommonly hard to move he hadn't any hope he said of moving her but that i think that if he made her a present say the collected works of george meredith it would meet the case i said it would meet the case all right but that in my opinion it would spoil its prettiness if miss thesiger didn't want to be paid in one way she wouldn't at all care about being paid in another perhaps miss thesiger liked being pretty hadn't he better leave it at that anyhow for the present you see i looked on viola and viola's behaviour as infinitely more my concern than his i found myself replying for her as she would have wished me to reply as if i could claim an intenser appreciation of her motives than was his as if she and i were agreed about this question of helping tasker jevons and i were the custodian of her generosity he said he supposed it wouldn't hurt him to leave it at that it wasn't as if it wouldn't be all one in the long run he gave himself three months i supposed he meant to pay her in three weeks later i heard that jevons was actually living up in hampstead in the same house as viola i didn't hear it from viola but from my man pavitt who had it from his sister-in-law and what pavitt came to tell me was that mr jevons had been ill i went up to hampstead that afternoon to see him i found him in a back room at the top of the house sitting by the fire in an easy chair wrapped in a blanket he was as thin as a lath and his face was a bright yellow the very whites of his eyes were yellow i would have said you never saw a more miserable object but that jevons was not miserable he was happy and as far as his devastated condition would allow him he looked happy this face yellow with jaundice was doing its best to smile the smile was a grimace not an affair of the lips at all but of the deep crescent lines drawn at right angles to them still he was smiling in a sort of ecstasy he was smiling at viola who sat in the chair facing him on the other side of the hearth she looked as if she had been there for ages also as if she had been sitting up all night she was smiling too straight at jevons what i saw was the beatitude of his response he tried to smile at me too as i came in but the effort was a failure he wasn't really a bit glad to see me viola got up and left me with him i wasn't to stay with him for more than ten minutes she said it was the first day he had been allowed to sit up i sat with him for fifteen minutes he was lodged as before in one room but its domestic character was disguised by many ingenious devices giving you the idea that it was nothing but his study well there he was haggard and yellow with jaundice utterly pitiable as to his appearance and surroundings and yet he looked at me in positively a sort of triumph 
as much as to say yes here i am and you with all your superior resources haven't managed half so well and i thought that he not knowing viola so well as i did was suffering from a lamentable delusion he said she had been awfully good to him but it was rather hard luck on him wasn't it that he should have gone and turned this beastly colour i said rather loftily i didn't suppose it mattered to viola what colour he turned what could it matter to her she came in presently and took me down to her sitting-room and gave me tea she owned to having sat up three nights with jevons she couldn't have believed it possible that anybody could be so ill for three days and three nights the poor thing hadn't been able to keep anything down not even a drop of water but to-day she had been feeding him on the whites of eggs beaten up with brandy she seemed to me to be obsessed with jevons's illness and i made her come out with me for ten minutes for a blow on the heath i tried to lead her mind to other things and she listened politely then there was silence and presently i felt her arm slide into mine she had these adorable impulses of confidence Fernie, she said what does jaundice come from i said it generally came from chill she frowned as if she were not satisfied with that explanation and there was another silence then she began again would being unhappy very very unhappy give it you i thought i saw how her mind was working and i advised her to put that idea out of her head happiness i said wouldn't be good for jevons she said oh wouldn't it and after prolonged meditation i wonder if he'll stay that funny yellow colour all his life i found out from her that he had been living in that top room above hers for three weeks ever since he had finished his book it looked as if he had become frantic when he saw the end of his pretexts and occasions for meeting her and had cast off all prudence and had followed her determined to live under the same roof i looked on it as a madness that possessed him but that it should ever possess her that was inconceivable end of book one chapter one recording by expatriate in bangor maine